0: and welcome to Talk with a Doc, the show where we bring your questions to Providence medical experts for insight and information. Remember, everyone, all of our questions come from you, our listeners, via social media. We can be found on Twitter at Providence and on Facebook under Providence Health System. Use the hashtag Talk with a Doc, that's hashtag Talk with a Doc, for a chance to hear your questions in our episodes.
1: So hello everybody, uh, today we're gonna to be talking about heart health. I'm gonna be your host Simona Trikiska. and today joining me it's Dr. Jeremy Nicolarsen and Melissa Fauché. Um, just as a disclaimer, this is for informational purposes only. If you do have heart or any other concerns, please contact your primary healthcare provider. So we have Dr. Jeremy Nicolarsson who is a trained pediatric cardiologist an adult cardiovascular disease expert, and he's the director of the adult and teen congenital heart program called PATCH at Providence Sacred Health Medical Center and Children's Hospital in Spokane, Washington. Welcome to the talk today.
2: Thank you, Samana. I appreciate the opportunity to be here. And hi, Melissa.
1: Hello. Thank you guys for joining us. So um, Dr. Larson, can you tell me a little bit about what brought you to Providence and more about your role?
2: Sure, I came to Providence in 2016 out of a training program in Denver in which I trained in pediatric cardiology, adult cardiology and adult congenital heart disease. I went into cardiology after training in internal medicine and pediatrics and then found that I loved chronic heart disease Uh, over a lifespan. I loved using both pediatric and adult cardiology. And there was this brand new field that's been growing over the past few decades, adult congenital cardiology. And I said, this is perfect. Let me use my background in pediatrics and adult cardiology and expand and take care of adults who survived birth defects of their heart. And my training in Denver was about five years long. And I really wanted to join an excellent healthcare system in which I could help patients with congenital heart disease, and there happened to be an opening in Spokane, and they needed someone with this expertise to lead a new program dedicated to teens and adults with congenital heart disease, and it was the perfect opportunity. Uh, I came out to Spokane really with no understanding of what I was getting into. I didn't even know where Spokane was, and just absolutely fell in love with the people and the environment and the healthcare system. And it's been so much fun ever since.
1: That's amazing. Thank you for sharing. Um, and Melissa, we know that you are a congenital heart disease patient. Um, you're a mom and you're a vivid optimist. Can you tell us a little bit more about you? I was born here
0: in Spokane. Um, and I was a day old when I met Dr. Garvedian, um, who was, who Dr. Larson filled his shoes. Um, and he, he met me when I was only a day old and was like, yeah, she's got some defects and we're going to need to address these. Um, and then I was pretty much an active congestive heart failure. I had my first surgery at 28 days. So I was four weeks and they repaired my coarctation, or yeah, a coarctation in my aorta. And that bought me, you know, four years of pretty healthy living. So then when I was four, I had my first, um, or my second open heart surgery. I was symptomatic at that point. Um, I wasn't keeping up with my little four-year-old peers, and um, I was complaining of chest pain and I was short of breath. And um, my mom was a nurse, and so she thankfully always knew exactly what to look for and was on purple alert and would bring me in whenever there was anything going wrong. Um, and they basically were like, "Yeah, we're gonna we're gonna need to bring her in and get this prepared." So. Um, I had that surgery. Um, the only thing I really remember from that is watching the little mermaid on repeat when I was in sixth grade, I think I was like 11. Um, I again became symptomatic. And so I, and keep in mind, I would go, I would see Dr. Garbidian at least once a year. And there was always like a, no change, no change, no change, no change, which was always good news. Um, but then it was like, I had this huge growth spurt. And with that came on these symptoms so, um, I went in and they were like, We're going to just go in. We're going to take this little balloon. We're going to put it in your valve and we're just going to expand it as much as we can just to, you know, buy you because it's in good shape still and you need to, or we'll try and preserve your natural tissue, you know, like as long as possible. So I was like, Okay. And at that age, I was a little bit more aware of like what was going on. And I, that was by far the scariest surgery for me just because it, I was suddenly aware of what was going on. Um, but it was fine. You know, they, I went home the next day and I just, I was fine. You know, it was no problem. And then I felt really, really good for like four more years. And then again, I was like, I think I was 15. And again, I had another huge growth spurt. And with that came on more symptoms again. Mm -hmm. And we just copy and paste did the same thing again. And I was good again until I was 22. So I had that another ballooning done at 22. And then I was, what, 28 or 29, when I had my final ballooning, next step will be replacing the valve. So I knew that that was on the horizon. Um, And then I was 32, so last year, when I had my final open heart and they replaced my aortic valve with um, a mechanical one. So um, now I'm like a cyborg, which is pretty cool. And, uh, oh, and I also ended up with a pacemaker um, as a, I don't know, result of that surgery. So um, I now have a pacemaker and a mechanical valve and I'm good to go for, you know, as long as my pacemaker battery lasts, which um, is supposed to be like another 18 years or something like that. So it's nice, I'm kind of at a stopping point from any more surgeries for a long time, which is really cool. It's nice to know that
1: I'm at like a, an impasse for a while. What a journey, Melissa. Thank you so much for sharing. Yeah. It seems like yeah. while your heart uh, may have a disease, it's also a very strong heart and you have a very strong will. <laughs> I would agree with that, yes. <laughs> and Dr. Nicolarsson, would you say that Melissa's experience that she just described, it's something that it's quite typical for patients with CHD. And if you can share maybe a little bit more, um, what is a CHD really?
2: Yeah, great question, Simona chd is short for congenital heart disease basically it's a heart defect that you're born with and many times our patients with congenital heart disease have more than one problem maybe they have a valve problem and then there's an artery problem that where it's narrowed kind of like in melissa's case she had both and some patients require intervention whether that's surgery or a heart catheterization like melissa described early as in a right out of uh, after being born. There are even babies before they're born, fetuses who have such severe congenital heart disease that we can do in utero heart procedures to open valves and help them so that they come, so they're born into the world and have their best chance. And so congenital heart disease can really impact children right from the very beginning. In fact, um, infant mortality and congenital heart disease is still a very real thing. Some babies are born with only one main pumping chamber. Others are born with such severe valvular heart disease that they may not survive infancy. And and it's still a very cause of infant mortality in our, in our country and in the world. And so there's pediatric congenital heart disease. And then those babies and children are um, treated with surgeries or heart catheterizations or electrophysiologic procedures or medications or all of the above. And they then grow into adolescents and adults. And CHD is something that never really goes away. You're born with it. It will always be a part of your history. Some patients have very simple heart disease, simple heart defects, we might call it, and they need maybe one procedure or surgery, and hopefully they'll never have a problem again. But many times, and and more often than not, this congenital heart disease can reoccur at points in your life, and you need an intervention or another surgery, just like Melissa explained. And so a lot of our patients, I'd say the majority of the patients I see in the office are just like Melissa. They've had multiple surgeries or interventions or hospitalizations throughout their lives, and this will never go away. It'll always be a part of who they are. I like to tell patients, though, it doesn't define them. They shouldn't feel like it really is the driving force in their lives. There's so much more to a person's life than their CHD. And that spectrum of pediatric to adult congenital heart disease is really what what I love and what I do on a regular basis. And then there's also another subset of patients who don't know they have congenital heart disease. They're diagnosed as adults. Maybe they remember hearing they had a murmur as a child, or maybe they had um, to go to the hospital once or had a rhythm problem. Usually they don't remember the the specifics. They were children at the time. Their parents may have not shared all of the information um, or they weren't mature enough to understand the information. And they think, okay, I had a heart problem, but It's not an issue now. It doesn't affect my Uh day-to-day. And then something happens. They develop an arrhythmia or heart failure where the heart's really not doing its job and you may feel symptomatic. Um, Or maybe they show up and they've had a sudden event, like a sudden cardiac arrest. And these things can be really scary and frightening. And patients come to us and say, that's right, when I was a kid, I had a murmur and I didn't even know what was going on. So we do have adults who are diagnosed with a congenital heart defect, who may have had something in the past. And then there's a whole nother set of patients. This is not that common, but adults who were diagnosed as adults, they never had any problems in their entire history. And then they show up with a symptom. We do an ultrasound of the heart and we find out that there's a heart defect that they've had their entire lives. I just saw a woman in her seventies recently who had a, has a very complex heart defect and didn't even know about it. So CHD is a, is a condition that affects fetuses, to adults. It's something that can be really impactful in someone's lives and they need multiple procedures and interventions and medicines and hospital visits, or it can be really not that impactful and they live their lives pretty uneventfully. Everyone who might have had a congenital heart defect that they thought was fixed knows that it's really never fully fixed that they need to be back in care. Or if you've got symptoms that might be like uh, a patient um, is having with congenital heart disease, that you, that you pursue that, that you get the care you need, because, frankly, this is something that is a lifelong condition, and it's really never cured.
1: A lot of people may have this condition, but they do find later in life that they do, and it's based on particular symptoms. Based on your observations, what kind of symptoms people are usually showing up with, and how far they have gone ignoring them?
2: So one of the most common symptoms we encounter in in our office here, and Melissa can speak to this, is shortness of breath uh, or fatigue, generally with exertion. Someone uh, is walking or jogging or exercising or who knows what, even just doing regular activities, running errands, and they're just feeling a little short of breath or winded. They feel like they can't take a deep breath. They feel like they have to pause when they're walking just to be able to get the energy to move, take the next step. So shortness of breath is one of the most common symptoms, and that can be a symptom of valvular heart disease, a symptom of heart, fu- heart dysfunction, or even arrhythmia. But the problem with shortness of breath is that it's so universal. You have shortness of breath for a lot of reasons. It could be your heart. It could be your lungs. Maybe you're out of shape. Maybe it's obesity or overweight. It could be any number of things. Uh, and, and so it's really hard to tease that out. But that's a really common symptom cause. You know, this is not common. It's one in 100 births. Um, babies are born with a heart defect. That's still pretty rare in the big scheme of things. Think of, there are a lot of other things that cause shortness of breath, but if you're collecting heart symptoms, like the ones I mentioned, there would be something there. It'd be worth going and seeing your your primary doctor or... or
1: and Melissa, yeah. uh, Jeremy mentioned that you can tell us a little bit more about the symptoms um, when you're a, an adult. <laughs> what, what has yeah. been your experience as well?
0: Um, so right before I had my last open heart, <laughs> I was telling him that I was bringing in my groceries that i mean, that's it. I brought my groceries in for my car. I had two babies that I also lugged up with me too, but um, I came inside and I put all the groceries on the ground and I just laid on the floor. And then I woke up like 45 minutes later while my little one-year-old oh my babies gosh. are running around me. And I was like, Oh my God, I just passed out. I didn't, you know what I mean? Like it was, I did not, I just wanted to lay there for a second and just catch my breath. But I, like, Fell asleep so I was like you know what that's probably not a good sign I should probably wow. be able to bring my groceries up the stairs and you know not need a nap so <laughs> you know that, that was one thing that was pretty alarming um but yeah the shortness of breath is definitely there and it's um it's difficult to pin it down because like all the other symptoms too like fatigue for sure well I'm a mom of four I work full-time. I work at night. I don't sleep as much as I should anyways, you know, by, you're like, it's not that. It can't be that. It's I'm fine. And you know, and you slap a bandaid on it and you move on. And then, but once it keeps happening over and over and over and over again, you're like,
1: okay, fine. So when we talk about lifelong care and management, um, it is so important for patients to stay within the system. And so many of them do not. And the reason for that is because there aren't that many programs that can really support the management and the care for patients with such a disease. Dr. Larson, can you tell me a little bit more about the program that you are managing, which is called PATCH?
2: PATCH program is a comprehensive care program. So we take care of adolescents and adults who were born with heart defects or who there may be a consideration of a heart defect. And we do so... In a team-based approach. And adult congenital heart disease or ACHD care really requires a team. It requires experts in heart rhythm and valvular heart disease and echocardiography, experts in interventional cardiology, um, surgery. It, it requires a team of nurses, social workers, um, advanced practice providers, and cardiologists. And really it can't be done a silo it can't be done with just one or two people Mm -hmm. it really requires a team because these patients are very complex some are doing quite well like melissa and maybe have their surgery or their procedure and and you get several years before we have to do something else but there are other patients who are constantly symptomatic and calling us and getting hospitalized and needing repeated procedures or ending up in our ers and one person or two people or three or even, can't even do that alone. Um, Our program follows about 1,800 adult congenital heart patients, and that's a moderate-sized program in this country. But it really requires um, this team-based approach to provide high-quality care, and we do that here at Patch. But there are programs like ours in the country who are facing the similar challenges that we are. These ACHD programs have certain Benchmarks that they ought to meet to be to provide comprehensive care. And the Adult Congenital Heart Association, or ACHA, is really the overall governing body in the US that oversees the quality of ACHD care provided at these centers. And so for years, cardiologists and nurses and surgeons and um, even lay people have gotten together and tried to come up with the requirements a program like ours might need to be a comprehensive care center. And they've defined them in a way that's really thoughtful and comprehensive. And it allows us to basically guide our program's uh, growth and future plans around a set standard of care, meaning that a program that's a comprehensive care center and accredited nationally by the ACHA has all of those pieces to provide the care. And I'm not a heart rhythm specialist, and I'm not an interventional cardiologist. So if I've got a patient who needs an electrophysiologic procedure or a heart catheterization or a new valve put in, or if I have a patient who needs a surgeon, I physically can't do those things. I'm not trained in them. So I need people in those areas to help me provide that care. And so PATCH is part of this ACHA accreditation program. We were one of the first 11 programs nationally accredited as a comprehensive care center.
0: I feel really lucky to be here in Spokane. You know, um, when my mom was pregnant with me, they lived in Billings and they didn't know my mom and dad wanted to move, but they didn't know where they wanted to go. And they kind of just settled on Spokane and it seems very divine. You know, like this is where I was meant to be. This is the best place in the country to be. If you are ha- somebody like me, if you have congenital heart disease, you know, cause literally mm-hmm. if I was anywhere else, I'd have to travel here. I just, I don't know. It feels very like in the stars to be here, you know?
2: I'm going to, I'm going to dovetail on that. Melissa, you pointed out something that's really, really important that ACHD care programs, they're not everywhere. You can't find them in every place. I'm from Wyoming. We don't have a pediatric congenital cardiologist in the whole state, let alone an adult congenital cardiologist. My mentor travels to Wyoming to see patients from Denver. And so Wyoming, Montana, especially out here in the West, there are these, big swaths of of geography where there's no congenital heart care and patients are born into hospitals in these places and maybe a blue baby yep. may need surgery immediately and they're getting flown with frightened yep. parents and family members to a pediatric cardiology program to get an urgent emergent surgery sometimes. And then they're going back to their homes and they don't feel like they have that connection and that, that close care always. So patch is part yep. of a big... Um, effort and in, in, among all ACHD programs to provide outreach care. So, we yeah. provide care, ACHD care, in your hometowns. And if we can't physically be there, then we will try to do so in, in in telehealth. In that in that regard. So, on the topic of outreach patch, right now we're going to Missoula, to Richland, Washington, to to Lewiston, soon to be Clarkston, Washington, and then we have satellite clinics. Um, in pediatric cardiology. Uh, And then we also have developed a a telehealth enterprise called ePatch, where providers and patients who are outside of our immediate geographic area will be able to access care from us with Mm -hmm. a camera and a microphone. Mm -hmm. And care from cardiologists locally is really our goal. Stay with the people who know you and care for you. Let us help as we need to. Let us help guide that care. Let's keep you in your hometown if we can and if something big comes up like a heart procedure or a surgery then we'll help you get here if need be
1: i mean how important it is to know that you can trust a an institution that can really take care of you and it's it, it's really creating a space where you feel at home as well while they're taking care of your life and well-being for the long run, not for the short. <laughs> um, this is, a, you know, when we talk about Providence and, you know, being one of the most innovative and science-driven institutions, uh, it's amazing to know that there are also all these programs that are supporting patients in every step of their journey. Dr. Larson, there aren't that many... Um, programs that have been approved by the ACHA right below 20, as far as I know.
2: The numbers growing and I commend ACHA and their efforts um, at, at standardizing care and encouraging programs to develop across the country. But we were one of the first 11, as I mentioned, and, and that was in roughly 2017. Um, subsequently, we've brought on many more programs and there's now about 40 ACHA, ACHD comprehensive care centers. Mm -hmm. That's not to say that if you're a patient with congenital heart disease, you have to go to one of those centers. That's the only place you'll get good care. I'm not saying that at all. There are really, really great providers out there who are not part of these big programs who provide stellar ACHD care. Um, But sometimes you need other help. You need a comprehensive team. And so if you're a patient with congenital heart disease and you happen to be listening to this anywhere near Spokane, then you better come to my office. But if you're not in Spokane, then go to the ACHA website and they have a clinic directory on there and you'll be able to find the closest cardiologist who has some expertise in ACHD and go see them. You're going to get great care near home. And then if they need help, they know who to ask. It's a small world, you know, one in 100 birth defects are heart defects. Those patients are growing into adulthood. Now we think that there's probably close to 2 million adults with congenital heart disease in the U S alone. And, um, you might think that's a lot of people, but it's a still a small world, and a lot of us ACHD cardiologists know each other, and if you're, if you're moving from Spokane or our region somewhere else, I'm going to pick up a phone and call the cardiologist who's going to see you when you get there.
1: When we talk about referrals within the healthcare system, let's say that there is a patient in the Seattle area, they need prolonged care patch, it's really going to be able to serve them well. What is the referral process, or is there one?
2: Thanks for asking in Seattle, there's a great adult congenital heart program at University of Washington, but there's also a growing ACHD presence at Swedish. And we work with the Swedish cardiologists and meet with them on a monthly basis and share patients um, uh, and, their, and their guidance of their care. And so if you happen to be aligned with Swedish, stay with them. There are actually some really great cardiologists who are really interested in improving care in the Seattle area we're in the world where we just need to pick up a phone or get on a, on a camera and a microphone and, and the care is there. It's ready to be, to, to be given to you. And, and there's no reason that you should be out of care.
1: Melissa, I wanted to ask you, you know, you seem so vibrant and so optimistic and, you know, based on our previous conversation, I'm just amazed with your positive attitude about life and you've been through so much. And I wanted to ask you like, what happens when you have hit the rock bottom and it has been tough and you've been disappointed or maybe you've had a little bit of a fear about your life and the things that you wanted to do and pursue? What, what brings you back to life with this positive attitude?
0: Well, you know, you just have a good cry, get it out of your system. And um, I don't know, I don't like to spend time dwelling on things that are completely out of my control. Or, you know, that I can't do anything different about. And it's not like I did anything wrong and I'm in this situation because of something I did and it's my fault. So I just I don't spend a whole lot of time dwelling on it. And it just is what it is, you know, and I have to I just accept it for what it is. This is my these are the cards I was dealt. And, you know, it's not that bad. It really isn't. Of all the things that could happen to someone, it's not the worst thing to have to go through. But, you know, there are those times like when you go to the doctor and you're feeling okay, and then they tell you, oh, there's been a change, the pressure is um, increased in your valve, or um, or they really push you, like, are you sure you're not having any symptoms? Because, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. this shows that maybe you probably are feeling kind of sick. And then I'm like, no, I'm really, I'm good, you know, trying to power through, because I don't want to have another surgery. And I did that more in like my teens, I'm, I'm better now. But, um, mm-hmm. you know, it, there are times where it's, it's scary, because, The surgeon will sit you down and, you know, talk to you and be like, hey, you know, there's a 1% chance, you know, that you won't wake up from the surgery, which is still a scary conversation to have, even if it's only 1%. Um,
1: But you just have to deal with it and pray that you wake up. So, Nicole Larson, how how important do you think it's attitude when you're going through um, health procedures and treatments?
2: It's everything. Attitude is everything. I, I asked Melissa to join us because she's exceptional. She's her attitude, I think has gotten her through some really tough times and she won't show it or say it, but it's been hard. I know. And um, she's had to have pretty significant uh, heart procedures and, and, and now surgeries um, even just to have a family. So to be safe and to get through these pregnancies safely, she needed really um, close and careful care and Each time we see her, she's smiling and happy. And I think I've hugged her more times than any of my other patients. She's just always so happy. And her attitude has really helped her, even when it's been tough. I think this last surgery, her valve was replaced and she needed a pacemaker was the lowest I've seen her. And it still was higher than than most. (laughs) Um, But it was discouraging for her to find out that she needed a pacemaker. And that happens Mm -hmm. sometimes. You know, so... But but within a week or two, and she's back in our office, there she is again, the same old Melissa. And, and it really is a pleasure to take care of her. Um, and I see her attitude helping her get through these tough times. But it's not the reality. A lot of patients with congenital heart disease struggle with the fact that they've got it. I mean, they think they're different. They think that they're never going to be like their friends or their family members. And it's really discouraging for a lot of people. And And for some people, it really can define them. And I try mm-hmm. to get them not to let that happen. It's easier to say it and, and I'm on a different end. I'm not in their shoes living it. But I really hope that if you've got congenital heart disease, you look at it as a feature of who you are. Like if your eyes are brown or blue, it's just a way, the way your heart looks, but it really shouldn't be who you are entirely. There's mm-hmm. so much more to Melissa. There's so much more to all of these patients. And if you can just kind of tap into that reserve and have a good attitude, and be, and be motivated to get better, you'll live a much, much better and happier life. Um, but it's, yeah. not, it's not easy for everyone. And so a lot of our, time, our visits in this office, we're talking to patients about their heart and then asking, so how are you really doing? You know, It seems like you're, you're a little depressed right now or this is making you anxious. And I tell you, I swear like half of our patients have anxiety or depression at mm-hmm. some point in their lives. And many times it centers around their heart health and what they can or can't do, or they're afraid of what of hurting their hearts. And if you just ask the questions and you ask us, you know, what's safe and what's not, we will help alleviate those concerns. We will help ease your way. We will help.
1: When people are, you know, part of the patch program, um, there are different specialists that can work with them to help them go through these challenges,
2: right? Yeah, that's right. So we are closely aligned with our. Department of Psychology. We actually host, uh, outside of COVID, we host a uh, patient support group. Uh, So patients and their family members or friends come and meet with us every other month. and We have a particular topic for that meeting. And there's usually a psychologist and a cardiologist or advanced practice provider moderating the meeting. And our social worker is really involved in this, in fact, is leading it right now. And so there are a, way, a lot of ways in an ACHD Comprehensive Care Center that you can seek out help. Um, you know, we're connected to a lot of different really high quality providers in the Providence system. And so if it's not mental health that you need help with, but maybe you need to be connected with the PCP, um, or maybe you need a referral to sleep medicine or to gastroenterology, we're, we're, we're in a really great health system and we have the opportunity to seamlessly integrate your care among providers and communicate effectively to make sure that you're as healthy as you can be.
1: And taking care of the family as well while taking care of the patient because including them, it's so important because the family can really suffer as well.
2: That's absolutely right. I
0: have said it a million times, this has been so much harder on my mom than on me for sure because you know, when you're the mom and you have to hand over your baby to somebody and trust that they're gonna make sure that your baby comes out of it and you're completely, your hands are tied. There's nothing you can do. And I, as a mom now, I, I would be a wreck if it was one of my babies. Mm-hmm. But when it's me, it's like like really it's, it's not a big deal. It's one day of being a human pincushion, and then you're done and you get to go home and back to normal and it's fine. But for my mom, it's a whole different perspective. So yeah, it's it has to be super hard for family members.
1: So is there something in particular, Melissa, that you are deeply, deeply committed to when it comes down to uh, nurturing your health? Not really. I
0: I I try and take care of myself as best I can. I. Definitely, do not exercise very much. I probably should. I got a Fitbit though, like a week ago for Mother's Day, and hey, that would motivate like, you. Oh, I know. Yeah, for sure. I'm like, oh my god, I've walked like 5,000 steps today at <laughs> like noon, so you know, I feel proud of myself. But um, no, there there isn't really anything. I try to eat moderately healthy, but girl loves her some Wendy's, so I still have to do that. Um, no, I. I really don't. I, I just, everything in moderation has always kind of been my general rule. You know, I never...
1: Dr. Nicolarsen, um, behind every innovation and behind every scientific discovery or treatment or a program even, there is the human drive. So I wanted to ask you, what motivates you and what inspires you every day?
2: Well, I think it's patients like Melissa. It's seeing someone happily live their lives and maybe they struggle at times when they need something done to their heart, but then they bounce back and then they get after it. And so I'm motivated a lot by my patients and I'm motivated by seeing them succeed and seeing them come into the office happy. I love giving great news, but I also, I don't mind. And in fact, um, I'm driven also by having tough conversations. I, I love The opportunity to connect with people in really meaningful ways on on really deep levels and to have conversations with people that maybe they wouldn't have with anyone else in their lives and um and so i'm i love what i do and i I think that i'm driven by that human connection that you can get in this field Um, achd more than i think other fields i'm biased obviously really gives you the opportunity to get to know people well and to know them over a spectrum and to see them at their highs and at their lows and when you get to do that with hundreds and thousands of patients, it's actually really, really great. Um, I feel so fortunate to be in Melissa's life and to have gotten to know her and her mother and her kids and, and her husband and just to be a part of of, of her life. And um and I and I, I'm driven by that human connection that I get with patients. I'd rather just set the heart stuff aside for a while and find out about you. That's what matters most.
1: So do you have any advice for other patients with um such a disease um i don't know if
0: i have any advice but um i would say to um stay the route Uh, if your doctor says come back in a year show up in a year don't Mm -hmm. let it don't let yourself get sick and be in a position where you have to go in now you know it's Mm -hmm. um, a matter of maintenance it's not um wait till it breaks and fix it Cause then it makes it so much harder for the team and, and yourself because then you're all of a sudden thrown into, Oh, I haven't been to the doctor in five years. And now they're telling me that I need to have surgery or, you know, or I might not make it. You know what I mean? Like you put yourself in a really dramatic situation. If you don't just stay the course, you know? if this is the body you're born in and you have complications. There are people here like here, right here to make sure that you live your best life. And that Mm -hmm. you're taken care of and that you can be as normal as everybody else because you can, there's no reason you can't Um, unless you want to go to the Olympics. It's probably not going to happen. Sorry. But um, you know, that's like the only downfall is that being real physically involved in anything is just not something that's an option for me. So I've gotten real good at like yard games because you know, that's Mm -hmm. my story. And my dad used Mm -hmm. to always tell me that God don't make no junk, you know, like it's just, There's nothing wrong. It's just a different path that you have to take. And it doesn't make you weird or an outsider in any way you're completely normal other than going to the doctor once a year. I mean, it's really not anything that should consume your entire existence. I, You know, being born with it, it's definitely, I don't know any different. So I can't really speak to somebody who's maybe an adult who has lived a normal life. And then all of a sudden they're like, Oh, I have a heart problem. Cause I think that that, that would be completely different. I truly don't have any other memories of other than, you know, having a zipper and uh, just having this be a regular thing. So and my parents always made it good for me, you know, like I, they never scared me when I went to the doctor, they never, they never did anything like that. And I was followed suit. You know, if my parents trusted my doctors, well, I should too, you know, mm-hmm. and, I remember specifically when I was like that, like sixth grade surgery, 10 or 11. And I was terrified. And my mom was like, you don't need to worry about anything. You know, you're in the absolute best hands. They're going to take care of you. You're going to be fine. And knowing that she had complete trust in the entire team really made me feel better about it, too. You know, because if she trusts them, why well, shouldn't I?
2: Hey, Melissa, Thank when you. you're older, I, I'd love to hire you in the office. And then after every time I see a patient, you go in next. And <laughs>
0: oh, them. deal!
2: You're all going to be just <laughs> they would be, they just-, would be on <laughs> just, just so happy.
1: <laughs> you just found you.
2: If there's ever an opportunity for you, Melissa, to do a mic drop, it's right there. I mean, you just said oh. all the really, really key stuff that I try to tell patients as well, and I know you live this, you know, don't let this define you. This is not who you are. There's so much more to who you are. Let this be a motivator. Let this help you be the best person you can be. We ask some patients sometimes like what, why is congenital heart disease a good thing in your life? And it can be a good thing in your life. Mm -hmm. It's taught you how to persevere. It's taught you how to, how to understand your body and how to listen to your body and how how to adapt to pain um, I yeah. would be a horrible CHD patient because I have like the worst pain tolerance, but our CHD patients <laughs> put so much and they, and they're strong, you know, and, and I just, I, I admire, I admire Melissa and people like her who really just take this and say, okay, it's not, it's not everything. There's so much more to my life. I want to take care of myself and, and I want to stay in care and I want to show up when I'm supposed to show up. But at the same yes. time, I don't want to think about it on the other 364 days of the year. I got that one exactly. day with my heart tests, and then everything else. It's just
1: Dr. Nicole um, What is your advice for other health institutions, um, for other um, health and cardio departments, for other doctors, for other clinicians? What can they do more of?
2: Invest in ACHD care. You know, it, we're a small piece of the big cardiovascular pie. Uh, we aren't. We aren't coronary heart disease. We aren't. Uh, valvular heart disease that's being treated almost entirely in the cath lab at times. Um, ACHD is a small part of the big pie, but invest in it. Invest in in personnel who have expertise in that area, invest in in awareness, help your your non-ACHD providers learn more about the field, Um, help connect them to the ACHD world. We're right here waiting for, for you. We're here to help you. And I I really want to see hospitals within the Providence Network and beyond recognize that this is a growing issue. We're only getting better at congenital heart disease care. Patients like Melissa are only growing in numbers, and there's going to be a time where it's really hard to keep up. And part of the the issue with ACHD care is access. You got to have access, if not in in a regional program, then telehealth. You got to have some way of connecting with the right people. But on the hospital administrative side, those, those leaders really need to help that process unfold. They need to invest in, in ways to get ACHD patients in front of an ACHD provider.
1: So, uh, Dr. Nicolarsen, um, what about information? How can people get a hold of your department? Is there a phone
2: number? I'm going to give that <laughs> number again. Thank you for the lead into that. Yes. I'm going to say it twice. You didn't have a pen out last time. You better have one now. No excuses. (laughs) 509-474-6707. 509-474-6707. That's our front office. Pick up the phone. Call today. Say, hey, I'm a congenital heart patient. I didn't know that I had to stay in care. This really cool patient named Melissa reminded me that. I'm going to get in and see someone like Dr. Larson. So call our office. My staff will take your calls. We're here 24 seven, literally for you. And you just need to reach out and ask for help.
1: Yes. Well, I cannot thank you both enough for joining me today. It was such a pleasure. Thank you so much, Melissa, for sharing your story amazing strength. Yeah. Dr. Nicole Larson, thank you so much for all of the amazing work that you're doing. We're going to continue with uh, the Heart Health Series. Um, we're going to have at least two more coming up soon, but stay tuned. Until then, thank you so much and have a beautiful day.